0: Have you ever thought about how incredibly complex iSpit is? It may only be 99% water, but just saliva isn't simple. That remaining 1% holds incredibly meaningful information that could change everything. And I'm not just talking about your family tree. Hi, I'm Baratunde Thurston, and on this season of Spit, an iHeartRadio podcast with 23andMe, we explore how DNA isn't just about ancestry. It can also be key to understanding your health. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so excited to be back and even more excited to share this special episode from Minnie Driver. Now, if you haven't already checked out her show, you got to do it. It's called Minnie Questions, and I've been on it, and it was great. And I feel like we're friends now, but I hope I'm not overstepping my bounds. Anyway, check out the whole podcast. Now, in this episode, you're about to hear, Minnie sits with Ann Wojcicki co-founder and CEO of 23andMe. What an intimate and inspiring conversation between two women who share a deep appreciation for both health and happiness. From the joy of finding moments of adventure, big or small, to the importance of advocating for oneself, Minnie and Anne, they explore it all. Anne's story is one of community and connection with a unique early childhood fascination for how the human genome works. It's definitely not a part of my childhood story, but that's why she runs the company and not me. Yet it was this fascination that ultimately inspired Anne's lifelong mission of empowering others to take ownership of their personal health. Anne's work asks us, what can your genetics tell you and how can it help you lead a healthier and happier life? As someone who's been fondly referred to as the princess of possibilities, and helps us understand where to find some of these answers. And it's no secret that your DNA may have something to do with it. Let's take a listen.
1: You have two sisters?
2: I have two sisters. So I live with my middle sister.
1: Are you the youngest or the oldest? I'm the youngest. Ha. Mm-hmm. I see. You see. I was the youngest who then became the middle of three. So I get it. I get that dynamic.
2: We very much have the birth order dynamics in our family. We all tease each other about that aspect.
1: It's a real thing. Mm-hmm. No, I joke. I was like, in
2: the company, one of my superpowers is learning how to ignore people. <laughs> and I learned that from my siblings. <laughs> So I I never mind getting criticism, I never mind taking feedback, because I'm really good at ignoring it. (laughs) You can say whatever you want. I'm going to, you know, make my own decisions then.
1: Hello, I'm Minnie Driver. Welcome to Mini Questions Season 2. I've always loved Proust's Questionnaire. It was originally a 19th century parlor game where players would ask each other 35 questions aimed at revealing the other player's true nature. It's just the scientific method, really. In asking different people the same set of questions, you can make observations about which truths appear to be universal. I love this discipline. And it made me wonder, what if these questions were just the jumping off point? What greater depths would be revealed if I asked these questions as conversation starters with thought leaders and trailblazers across all these different disciplines? So I adapted Proust's questionnaire, and I wrote my own seven questions that I personally think are pertinent to a person's story. They are, when and where were you happiest? What is the quality you like least about yourself? What relationship, real or fictionalized, defines love for you? What question would you most like answered? What person, place, or experience has shaped you the most? What would be your last meal? And can you tell me something in your life that's grown out of a personal disaster? And I've gathered a group of really remarkable people, ones that I am honoured and humbled to have had the chance to engage with. You may not hear their answers to all seven of these questions. We've whittled it down to which questions felt closest to their experience or the most surprising or created the most fertile ground to connect. My guest today on Mini Questions is the founder and CEO of the biotech phenomenon 23andMe, Anne Wojcicki. And founded the company with the central idea of creating a consumer product that sought to rework the healthcare model by empowering individuals to take control of their own health. I know when I did the DNA test, I was interested in my ancestry. You'll perhaps be unsurprised to hear that I'm virtually 100% Northern European, specifically Anglo-Saxon. The other focus, though, of 23andMe are these health reports the company also offer that give you a deeper, more complex view of your health using your DNA. It's pretty extraordinary to be able to find out if you're at increased risk of developing certain diseases ahead of actually developing them. It gives you a chance to take preventative measures, to really see your own health from the place of knowledge being power. Anne is an incredibly inspiring person to talk to. She was the kind of child who lay in bed at night wondering about molecular biology and the expanding universe. Uh, But she also seems to be the kind of person who wouldn't judge someone like me who used to lie in bed at night dreaming about being on night rider. Where and when were you
2: happiest? There's two things. So one, I mean which I think every mom would say is like the birth of my children was just there's nothing better than the day your children are born. There's just there's no comparison. Yes. But when I think about <laughs> Besides that moment, um, which I have to must honor, I took off a year <laughs> uh, when I was traveling. After the stock market went crazy in 2000, and I finally said, like, I need a break. And I decided that the only place I could go to get peace and quiet was Siberia. <laughs> oh, you like the cold? Okay. <laughs> well, it was in the summer. Well, no, I take it back. It was, it was September. I made the mistake. It got cold. Uh, maybe I left in August, but I decided I was going to take the train across Siberia. It was going to be meditative. The Trans-Siberian. Correct. I've heard of that train. So I started in Moscow and I ended in Beijing and I stopped along the way. And I wanted to go to a place called Lake Bakal, which is in, you know, near Mongolia. And there's an island on, in it called Olkon Island. And I just wanted to go to this island and camp. And I remember once I got there and I had this guide and I remember asking, I was like, what do we do? He's like, you will watch the fire. Like, that's all we did. And it was the first time I remember it was like, there was kind of before that moment where I was so attached to my BlackBerry, so kind of running. And then there was after that where I was like, you just enjoy. Like, every moment was so vivid. And it's amazing. Like, to be really free in the world. Like, I had one pair of pants, one pair of sweat, one sweater, two shirts. I didn't have a phone. And I just traveled. Like, every day was a little bit different. And again, I had no responsibility. There's something about being truly free and having no responsibility and exploring the world. And I remember getting to Beijing and walking in and it was like, I had my bags. I couldn't speak the language. Like it smelled totally different. And I remember just like, I love everything about this. Like, it's just so different. And I can't wait to explore. And I kept traveling. I just loved it. And as you know, like as as a parent, like once you have children, you're never mentally free. No, like you will always you'll always worry about them. And so there's a brief moment when you're an adult till you have kids where you
1: actually are truly free. Absolutely. Because that's really what it is. It's like that nomadic impetus just to go to go and put yourself in a different landscape, a different environment, to not worry, to be able to put down a phone. That is a pre kids experience because you're right. You can try. I've tried to go off by myself. It's hard. I mean I can, but I'm your brain is will forever
2: be with them. You're always gonna wanna check in. You're always gonna worry. And I think there was something about you know, even in this time, it's hard to ever fully disconnect. I have no doubt if I went back to that island I would have cell access. And you know, there was something about like really forcing a break and just enjoying That experience. And I think I love that sense of adventure. So I used to bike to work every day and I would never take the same path. And in part because like, I just, I love getting lost. Like, I love getting lost and figuring it out. I love exploring, like seeing new things, like seeing a new restaurant, like seeing a new house, like somebody changed their garden. Like, I just, there's something about like that tiny minuscule (laughs) sense of adventure that you get when you're, you know, working and with kids that really kept my brain alive.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. I'm not the biggest fan of routine and routine routine is what children obviously thrive on. But finding the variance, I think freedom and variety uh, would be cornerstones of happiness for me as well.
2: Oh, yeah. My favorite thing I used to do with my dad when I was little is I would get in the car. He wouldn't have a destination and I would get to pick left or right.
1: Yeah, that's funny. I used to do that as
2: well. Yeah? Yeah. I think there's some people who love that kind of adventure and some people who just don't. But I love that sense of wild adventure, like no idea where I'm going to be. Like I have spring break next week and I do not know where I'm going.
1: That's super fun. I like that. I think it's really good being that kind of a parent as well. I think they get to see that modeled, just that idea of get lost. Yeah. And you can always figure it out.
2: There's always somewhere to stay always somewhere to eat. You can always sleep in your car. It's a good exercise.
1: Yeah, exactly. And also, you can always figure out where the North Star is. We just learned that on a camping trip in the desert recently. Mm -hmm. It was so brilliant. There's all sorts of tricks you can always find. Yeah. What relationship, real or fictionalized, defines love for you? I had a truly extraordinary childhood. I've had the same best
2: friends since I had, again, I met one of my best friends in kindergarten another a couple of years later. And there's something about true love that when you can go through all those iterations, again, I go through my childhood, I go through adulthood, you know, it's up and down and it's incredibly supportive, real connection that endures
1: and also evolves.
2: And evolves. And it's it, it's yeah. it's the type of thing where again I think about it from like a, a rubber band perspective. Is you have that ability to stay connected, but you're not. It's not restrictive. Again, I think back on on the relationship and also how different we all are now, but yet how supportive of like the true person and like evolving hmm. and becoming your your that real person. So I'm grateful to the whole community that I grew up in because it's a community like we do events all the time for like the community that we grew up with and it's all these people who i've known since kindergarten wow and my parents friends it's this like true appreciation for differences and that you're a unique person hmm. and i think that's kind of one thing that i love is like that in some ways like the the more you are truly you it's like everyone shines there's no force of conformity other than like you should be the the true you. Hmm. So I I feel really lucky. Whenever people talk about me and my sisters, and I almost feel I have to correct them because it does take a village in that capacity. And I think back, again, my friend they met in kindergarten, those parents, like I call them Imanabat, like mom and dad and their siblings, like they were part of the whole community that raised all of us and that are still taught me about true relationships and true connection.
1: That's so interesting, this huge business that you're doing when actually the fundament of it is because... It feels to me that microcosm of a connected community that you come from, beloved and appreciated and supportive. You just take that to the macro and you put that on a global. Like, imagine if one could have that feeling of connectivity and community on a global scale, like how different the world will be. Like, I completely understand why you, why 23andMe is like your life's work. Like, that makes, that's super cool, though. I really like that it's connected to your emotional evolution, to how you yourself evolved. I
2: think in some ways the best companies are almost just an extension of the person.
1: Do you think that that is exactly what it is that that really yeah. the ones that work are they are connected on a deep level?
2: Yeah, I like to me 23me is not a it's not like it's just a company. When I talk to a lot of the founders in the area where they've done really well and it's and they've stayed connected, it's because it's such an extension of them. And in a lot of ways like I'm perpetually fueled by the intellectual curiosity And also the sense of community, I think, that we foster and we foster a real community. I think there's nothing more lonely than the experience of health and being sick and trying Mm -hmm. to find the right people that you can connect to. So I think doing more in that area and then connecting the world as a family Mm -hmm. and helping people see that, you know, celebrate that the connectedness, but also each person's individuality.
0: Now let's take a moment and listen to a story of how understanding your health begins with understanding what your genetics say about you. For Brittany and Carlos, 23andMe helped make a father-daughter reunion possible. For both of them, the experience was life-changing.
3: I did have a person who I thought was my dad and he wasn't really involved. We didn't have a lot of things in common. So I took the test and found out who Carlos was, my dad. I immediately found like a lot of similarities that I've been looking for for a long time. It was really overwhelming, but a very good overwhelming feeling. Both of my parents are deceased. So my parents never had the chance to meet her and know they had a grandchild out there. My mom was a phenomenal basketball player. And so is Brittany. So my mother would have definitely loved that. <laughs> through twenty three and me, Carlos helped Brittany discover important insights into her family health history. My mom died at forty seven from diabetes. You know, in the black community is very, very prevalent. The only way we can change it is dietary habits and so forth. It has to be something that we start at a young age. It starts when we're young and then snowballs until we're older. I think that it's just really important to, like, focus on that in your relatives and then also pass on that information just because it may not just be you.
0: Thanks to 23andMe, Brittany's reunion with her dad, Carlos, changed her life.
3: It's answered a lot of the questions that I didn't know that I have. So don't be afraid to do it. Connect with people that you didn't think that you have. Consider those health reasons. There's a lot of tests involved with 23andMe that could really benefit you and then a lot of people around you.
0: This story was brought to you by 23andMe. Learn more about your ancestry and get personalized genetic insights into your health. Get started today at 23andMe.com.
1: What question would you most like answered? What, as a child, used to keep
2: me up at night, what, again, this is, I, I like, I remember learning about things like the electron transport chain, like, like how your cells work <laughs> And your DNA and wondering, like your body is this incredible, like each cell is like New York City and it functions and I don't do anything. I go to bed and all this work is happening. And I remember as a kid, I was like, doesn't it keep you up? Like, how is it all happening? And so, again, the things that perplex me the most are the molecular biology and and how the body works. And, and that's what, again, what gets down to the genome. Like, that's the code. Like, how is it that you have such spectacular diversity on this planet? And where does this all come from?
1: Is that what made you so interested in observable DNA reports? Like, is that where it began?
2: There's two things that like were, were big triggers for me. So one, as a child, I loved twin studies. Like I remember when National Geographic pulled out a whole, you know, edition about twins and the twin studies. And I remember just pouring through it and just fascinated like identical twins separated at birth what's similar, what's what's genetic and what's environment. And the first time I had ever heard about DNA was from my mom and she was yelling about something. She was I was about five and she was yelling at my sister for something about her genes. And I remember thinking she was wearing shorts and that my mom was confused. <laughs> and, and so I kept asking, I was like, what are genes? What are genes? And then my mom explained, you know, genes and environment. And I was just fascinated. Like, what do you mean? Like there's like a code inside you and then it interacts with your environment and you have this ability to, Understand the code, and then you know change how you live, and then you could. I remember asking her, I was like, well, then you could live forever. Like you could, you, you'd be healthy. And so from early on, I was always fascinated with health, and I had spent a lot of time thinking about going to medical school, and I love people. Like I loved, I worked as a patient advocate and I love just like sitting with people as they're, you know, waiting for surgery. And I remember talking to this woman who is the first black family in Napa and I remember hearing everything about, you know, like the journey that they had across and you know, what it was like living there and just sitting there while she was waiting for surgery. Like every human is fascinating. And so kind of, it was that combination of like, I love genetics. I love looking at genes and environment. And I love the story. Like I love connecting with people.
1: It's the stories, like the story. First of all, I have to take- Tell you just really quickly as an agile because my mother, when she was dying, we were telling stories with her, and she went, Do you remember when you made me do the 23andMe? And I was like, Yeah, because I wanted to make sure that we were related. <laughs> and she said, And and I said to you, They're only gonna find out that I'm 50% red lipstick. <laughs> we did it together because we were interested. We were interested in those stories and in the stories of our ancestors. So, where that begins, your health story is connected to that. But I loved finding Finding out. I am quite literally as Anglo-Saxon as it gets. I'm like 99.7% British and Irish, which is astonishing, which means that like, my people literally never left that sodden, freezing cold, lump, <laughs> lumpish island that is England. Well, you proved them. You moved to California. <laughs> Good job. You're the breakout. And of course, now I've, my skin is not supposed to be in the Californian sun. But I'm fully aware of that because I know what my history is. Yeah.
2: Well, I think that's what's fun is like you can look a certain way and people think they know their ancestry, but there's always interesting surprises. Everyone also finds relatives, like whether, you know, your Mm. ancestry actually matches what you thought it was, your genetic ancestry matches what you thought. But then there's like the whole world of like you're connected to people that you never knew you were connected to. And we even found that we have a first cousin that we didn't know about. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it's, I always tell people, like, if you don't have a family, a DNA relative story, you know, just sit back and wait. And I'm sure one will come your way. Like the reality is that life is complicated. Life is long and people like sex. And so, you know, you end up having a lot of relatives that you didn't necessarily know about.
1: I think I have to find out that
2: Adam Driver is my cousin. Oh, you know, that was one of the first studies we ever did is Warren Buffett and Jimmy Buffett.
1: Oh my God. I want to find out. They came to us
2: determined, like, you have to find out how we
1: related we had a very brief conversation once i had family driver family moved from ireland to canada and they then moved down to the neighboring state that adam driver's family is from and it felt like there was proximity enough that there was a likelihood if it was a neighboring state but i'd love to know that would be a fun follow-on to the story He might not want to know. He'd be like, God, no, because if I am, then that's going to follow me around like a (laughs) yoke. People are going to ask me forever. But connection and storytelling, like that is the nexus of science and art, like right there. So, well, it's one of the things that's interesting is most of science today is not made accessible. I agree.
2: So that was like one of the other things, like my father is a particle physicist, and when there was a Nobel Prize given for the expanding universe, and I remember asking my dad, I was like, what's the difference between an expanding universe versus an inflating universe? And he looks at me, he's like, well, one is expanding and one's inflating. And I was like, oh, you know, thanks, dad. That's great. I (laughs) I didn't catch that. And I realized like there has to be a way to make science accessible and relatable. I see, because again, I have my little kids, like fourth grade humor when people are like looking at like, oh, I can do this with my, like, I'm double jointed. Can you do this? Can you do that? Like, that's like, we're all different. And how do you get people excited about human, you know, human variety, human variation, and like the magical experience of science?
1: I mean, I wonder if it, would make us more tolerant as well. Like the more that we see, being able to twist your tongue is a genetic coding. But that idea that I wonder if you see someone who looks differently to you, but they can do the same thing that you can do with your body. So there is this connection, there are these pathways and bridges. Like I wonder if that also, like the more that we know, the more that we know that we're connected, will we start living in a more connected way? Will there be a sort of systemic societal change based on really bellying up to our connectivity rather than the hideous separation that everyone seems to keep fighting for. Well,
2: we had some, and there was a story that was written about this of somebody who, you know, was descendant of white supremacists who had a child that they um, had lost track of or didn't know about. And then it was that child had multiracial children and they reconnected on 23 Me. Wow. And he said, he's like, I had to really reassess my past, like how I was raised, because these are my grandchildren, and I'm going to love them. And it's this whole, it's a really wonderful story about sort of that reconciliation of like, and the father of these children was like, was I excited to have a, you know, white supremacist (laughs) grandfather? Like, no. But like, it's family. So we're going, we're going to work through it. And they spend time together. So I do think it's been an eye opener for a number of customers to realize that they have this assumption of like, oh, I'm French or I'm, I'm something. But the reality is you are quite connected to everyone. And one day there's going to be the ability to put together a human map where every single person is connected. Hmm. And so we are all connected. I mean, then the the amazing thing too, the the reason why I'm fascinated with DNA is like, it's so simple. You have four letters, ACG, And it represents all of life. So my kids, like, again, talk about us all the time. You are connected to a banana. Like (laughs) you have DNA in common. And I was like, and you are more connected to a snail. Like we are interconnected to everything that's alive on this planet. And it's a remarkable story of like how, like, again, such a simple foundation can lead to such spectacular diversity everywhere. And the diversity is the story of our success. You know, you have dark skin for a reason and you have pale skin for a reason. And part of it is because there's survival advantages around that. So, you know, some mutations are just random and some mutations like make it that you are more likely to survive. So, that's why we should absolutely celebrate and embrace like diversity is why we know that the human species is going to survive. Like one thing I'm fascinated with is that, again this world of global global warming. I had one day my head of marketing um, it was 130 degrees in Arizona and my head of marketing's like I have to go down to Arizona. I just, I love it when it's over 120. And I remember staring at her. I was like, you are made for global warming. Like, you're going to survive. I don't like heat. Yeah. There's even like that kind of variety. Like some people just love super, super hot weather. So we have, again, we should absolutely be embracing this kind of diversity and like celebrating and mining it and understanding it, that we're all very different.
1: I agree. 23 Me is... Is part of like the interest in that as well, that thinking about molecular biology, of mapping what we can know, of mapping as much as we can know while leaving space for that which we will never know. Was that part of the impetus of going, well, let's create maps where we can?
2: Well, part of for 23andMe was like, we should understand what the human genome does. Like we should understand how it works. It's a code. Right. It's a code. In my mind, it almost gets down to, again, going back to the physics element, which is like functions off some, there's major rules, like E equals MC squared. Like there's major rules. Like biology doesn't have a lot of that other than we have, you know, the A C G and T. But I'm trying, like there's some amazing work now that's about how does that actually translate into a protein? And then can you predict the
1: function? Is that where the health reports would come from? That kind of idea that you can predict the kinds of things that would happen around certain sets of DNA? A hundred percent. So the whole
2: idea here is like everyone is born with a certain set of risks. So the same way, like you have this incredible variation in your genome. And so you can have blue eyes, you have brown eyes, but you can also have, you know, being higher risk for diabetes, lower risk for diabetes. Very little of your genetics is deterministic, meaning like, you know, you can have a genetic
1: predisposition
2: for something. Correct. But it doesn't mean you're definitely gonna have it. Right, right. To me then it was all about well, you interact with the environment all day long. So how am I eating? You know, how am I exercising? Like I'm standing right now. You know, there's all the kinds of data about how you stand. Like I sleep, I absolutely prioritize sleeping because there's all kinds of data now actually pointing to mental health and your physical health and how much you're actually sleeping and then what time you go to bed. So I've always been interested in the interaction. So you have your cells all communicating, but then you also get all these inputs. That's why it's so spectacularly complicated.
1: Great. So I'm glad that you're unwrapping all of this and not me. I will continue (laughs) to spit into my thing and you'll then tell me what's up. And this is where, again, I I feel like we're,
2: we're surrounded by amazing people who just the amount of data now that we can have, we can like start to find these things and like really help people understand
1: risks. I think that's the key, being able to help people assess the risk and sort of get out ahead of things, potentially. Right.
2: And also know, I mean, most of the world doesn't focus on prevention. I mean, it's a really sad part of health care is that healthcare doesn't make money if you never get sick. Like I read about, there's this ranger who just retired at 100. She's amazing. She and she was a park ranger. She retired at 100. Obama gave her a tribute. But she's kind of the example. It's like she is healthy at 100. You're not generating a lot of money for the health system. Right. So when you're sick, you generate money. But if you're healthy...
1: Oh, my God, it's so awful. That's so Orwellian. It's such a hideous idea.
2: Yeah. So that's part of the reason why we're self-pay and part of the reason, you know, 23andMe is focused on that world of prevention. But it's in your hands then.
1: So what do you do if you're afraid of finding out that you're predisposed potentially to something, even though you know it's not deterministic? Like, how can people kind of belly up to the idea that I'm going to look at this health report and I'm going to see that there is a certain percentage chance that I may be predisposed to this?
2: I mean, the reality is everyone's at risk for something. Right. And if you look at your family history, you probably know, you know, various risks that you may or may not have. So the data that we have so far is that, you know, it's, it's people find out something like they're higher risk for Alzheimer's and it will cause people to really think about it and they can be anxious initially, but it returns to baseline. So it changes their life in terms of like very practical things. Like in the case of Alzheimer's, people were going and buying long-term care insurance.
3: Hmm. So
2: being proactive. So one of the big things we think about is, you know, can you actually help people know how to live their life? So we're never going to be able to tell you the day you're going to die. Like people always ask that. I was like, no, 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 that product would cost a lot more money. We don't have that, but we can help you understand risks. So if you know that, for instance, you're higher risk for type 2 diabetes, you can really modify You can change your eating habits. Or things like, you know, I look at more severe conditions, even like chronic kidney disease. You can test proactively. You know, the reality is like you have to be a partner with your physician as well to know what are your risks? What are the things that you have to look for? Because you're not going to get screened for everything all the time. So what are the things that you want to think about? And then also how are you making intentional decisions with how you're living your life in terms of what you eat or how you exercise or how you sleep? And it doesn't have to be absolute. Like you don't, if you're high risk for something, like you can still have the cookie. It's just a question of like moderation and being aware. Yeah, awareness, that's the key. You know, there's certain people also where it's just not the right product for them. You're right. But for people who want to, you know, who like knowing and want to be more proactive, then it's absolutely, you know, the right thing for them.
1: What is the quality you like least about yourself?
2: Oh, interesting. You know, I'm generally relatively supportive of myself. Um, So so I have, I mean, there's things that are, I'm often criticized for, which is I'm not terribly punctual.
1: I love the fact that you'd say like what quality you like least about yourself is like, no, I'm good with me. Here's what other people are not good with me about. Like, not always punctual. Okay. I
2: mean, I, I, look, I think the reality is you have to appreciate yourself and accept yourself. Right? I couldn't
1: agree with you more.
2: Yeah. So I think there's things, you know, you just, at some point, also you reach a point, you're like, I just am the way I am. So I, anyways, I, I could absolutely
1: be more punctual. I have moments where I'm unrealistic. I think what's interesting, though, is the advocacy for self. Like, that to me is the kind of that's the headline from this is perhaps we would all be slightly more successful in our humanity if we were just to embrace the stuff that we categorically know is difficult about ourselves but go well this is part of me and there's all this other stuff that really balances out the annoying stuff i like the idea that you're an advocate for yourself exactly
2: i think that everyone has to understand their strengths and their weaknesses and so there's th- like i i joke i was like like i like i don't really get dressed I'm not great at fashion. I'm, and <laughs> I, there's just certain areas we've just given up on and, and you just embrace it at some point and realize like my strength. And I think about this, even how I run the company, I am good at thinking big. I'm good at challenging status quo, um, hmm. but I'm not always great with structure. So I, I can hire, like I have a really great team around me who's really good with structure. And there's ways that you can then manage that. But just recognizing, like, it's, you know, it's it's just a little bit how I I am. I have this really lovely yoga instructor who calls me the princess of possibilities. And <laughs> I, I tend to always err on positive. Like, even on people, like, I, I strongly believe everyone's great at something. Oh, I agree with you. I agree with you. And so you just have to find out what it is. And you have to, ex- and, and that gets back to the previous thing about adventure. Like, you have to then explore enough to know, like,
1: what are you actually good at. I think that also takes confidence. I think a lot of people, if they get the impression that you're looking for what is great about them, their lack of belief in themselves will stop you either being able to find it or stop their own inquiry into what that is. Because it's funny how a lot of people are, they believe that they're not, that they don't have anything great about them. Yeah. I see that sometimes and
2: I see, and I do, I absolutely credit my parents with this and particularly my mom. Like, my mom is almost annoyingly so such a cheerleader. Like, that is so great. You look so good. That was amazing. <laughs> and, you know, my mom's a high school teacher. And her specialty really was always taking kids in freshman year who often lack self-confidence and and giving them confidence. Mm. And just, and in some ways showing, like she, my mom was always really critical. She's like, oh, I'll mark up your essay. Like write an essay for me and I'm going to destroy it, but you're going to rewrite it. And then you're going to give it back to me and I'm going to mark it up more. And then you're going to rewrite it again. And you're going to do that until you get an A. Oh my and so my mom was like very much of that type. And like, and she, she's, she would hold on to these. I mean, she would show up at kids' houses and be like, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that. Like, we got to rewrite it. Like wow. she was really good at helping people realize like you're full of potential. You just got to get it. Like work on that. And so I do think that sense of self-confidence and giving kids that opportunity. I mean, again, I see this now with my three-year-old, like when she is so proud of herself when she can take off her dress and like, like (laughs) she said, she like does a little happy dance. Like she's just like, like that sense of accomplishment. So like throughout kids' lives, you got to reward them. Like you got something done. Like, that's great.
1: What would your last meal be?
2: I'm not a diehard food
1: person. It can be experiential as well, you know, like the way you would be and what the vibe would be.
2: Oh, well, experiential would be everything. I love, again, a big event with a family style dinner. I'm not formal, there would be no organized cutlery. <laughs> <laughs> it would be like we have a dinner every sunday night at my at my house there's no organization it's a little bit of a free for all i love being with my friends i've been with for a long time i'm all about quality of food yes and not specific type i've had the most amazing like local organic celery my, and my kids always make fun of me they're like what did you say i was like i just love fresh Celery. Again, my whole thing is all about something that's pure. Like
1: I always hate veneers. So like food that's masks, like those little tiny bunny carrots Mm -hmm. that are tiny. And also, have you seen how quickly they go off in your fridge? Like they don't survive. There's nothing better than like going into the garden and like I see my daughter, like she eats all the mint off the plant. Mm, It's so cute. Pulling vegetables up and like going. I used to love being sent out into the garden. Mum would be like, go and get me two heads of lettuce and some new potatoes. And then that's what we'd eat. It was great. Again, also when we lived in
2: France, we had our first garden. And the neighbors across the street grew raspberries. So we were always like sneaking into there.
1: Into there to get mm -hmm, them, To steal the
2: raspberries.
1: Mm, Those are the best. They really are. In fact, stolen fruit is... Stolen fruit is arguably better. mm -hmm. Oh definitely. In your life can you tell me something that has grown out of a personal disaster? I mean there's so many disasters. I mean, I think the
2: most public one, you know, when 23 me got our warning letter.
1: Oh, yeah. From the
2: FDA. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing I was talking to someone the other day and she was like, I didn't realize the full story. Like I had a one year old and a two and a half year old and I was getting divorced in a very public way. And then I got the FDA come after me. Wow.
1: That's a lot to be happening at, at one time.
2: Yeah, no, people always say, you know, you have the pie chart of your life. You know, you have your work, you have your personal life, you have your kids. Like, you need something to be stable. Yeah. And that was one of those moments where I remember coming home, I'd be like, I don't have anything that's stable. Like, there's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's nothing. And, you know, I remember people saying, they're like, Oh, this is time when shops, like, companies close up. And and again, it was, it was just unbelievably hard. Like, little kids and managing the publicity mm. of the divorce. So, all of that. But I look back and I'm like... But life is now so good. Like we got through the FDA. I hired amazing people. My children are fabulous, and you know, all things and all relationships. Like you, you move on. It regenerates. Like you regenerate. You regenerate. And and I bring up that example mostly because it was the most public. But it was it was hard, and it was hard. Like I remember the first time having to go to a public event. It was like you you know when everyone's looking at you. Like there was an article called what was it? Oh, 23 and stupid. And and I'm friends with the author, so. I kind of love like but people are all talking about you
1: oh my god no the public aspect like when your life is fracturing and you add in that it is made public that compounds the fracture like without a shadow of a doubt, it's quite hard to explain the idea of everybody knowing and judging your something painful that you're going through is, is difficult
2: It's hard. And I think it goes back to that question, what I don't like about myself. Like, I do really like myself. And so what kept me whole in that time frame is I was like, I am very confident of our path forward, confident that everyone's good at something, that there's a better, again, going back like princess of possibilities, like it's all going to be okay. And so there's something for me about like, when I think of my North Star in life is always like, it's going to be okay. And in some ways, I think if you have that attitude, then you're just riding waves. It's like surfing. You're just like, like, sometimes you got a big wave. But there's something good in everything. Like our FDA stuff was challenging, but like there's good in everything. So you just have to find that. And again, as a forward-looking individual, like I'm always focused on, you know, things will be okay.
1: That is a lovely place to conclude. Things will be okay. I teamed up with 23andMe for today's episode with Anne. You can hear more podcast hosts discuss their experience with 23andMe on the podcast, Spit hosted by the magnificent Baratunde Thurston. And if you liked his episode of Mini Questions, you will love his work on the Spit podcast. Subscribe to Spit wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, so that you can be the first to listen when the new season comes out on May 5th. To learn more about 23andMe and Anne's work with the company, visit 23andMe.com. Mini Questions is hosted and written by me, Mini Driver. Supervising producer, Aaron Kaufman, Producer, Morgan Lavoie. Research Assistant, Marissa Brown. Original music, Sorry Baby, by Minnie Driver. Additional music by Aaron Kaufman. Executive produced by me, Minnie Driver. Special thanks to Jim Nicolay, Will Pearson, Addison O'Day, Lisa Castella and Anique Oppenheim at WKPR, Dale Pescador, Kate Driver and Jason Weinberg. And for constantly solicited tech support, Henry Driver.
0: And that's a wrap on a fascinating show. Did this episode inspire you to take a closer look at your health history, your genetic makeup? Who knew DNA could reveal so much about our past while also holding the keys to certain health insights that may impact our future? I continue to be inspired by these stories, and I hope you do as well. Catch you next time. Listen to Spit, an original podcast from iHeartRadio and 23andMe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.